check my YouTube channel, subscribe, and share. Welcome, everyone, to Kimberly Speaking Podcast. Today, our special guest is Miss Kendra Jackson, trauma survivor, overcomer, and single mom. Welcome, Kendra. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. Great. So glad you could be here today. So tell everyone about yourself. Um, I don't like to label myself as a single mom, although that is a label. However, I do look at myself as being a supportive mom of two beautiful daughters. Um, I'm currently in the process of trying to develop an organization where I can reach back and help youth um, kind of like navigate life and the problems that arises as youth and adults. Um, and also in the in the making of kind of like opening a business as well. So, yeah, and I'm very, very active with my oldest daughter because, of course, she models, so that keeps me kind of occupied with her. But I'm always doing something, whether it's telling my testimony on Facebook, helping someone that's less fortunate or whatever. I'm always doing something. I'm never not doing anything. Okay, well, I like that. So um, let's dive right in. So um, one one part of your testimony, you said that you were – um, sexually abused, you know, by a cousin when you were in primary school. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how it affected you. Um, when I first initially was touched, my mom at that time, you can say she was a single mom. Although my father was alive, um, he had alcohol issues, so he drank a lot. He drank heavy, and lo and behold, he was literally outside of the door while I was being molested, and um. We was in the living room and I can still remember how the house was. So it's when you walk through the front door, you have the TV on the TV stand and then you have the little opening and um, you have the, it was a chair, reclining chair that was there. And my cousins, they were facing the wall. So they actually couldn't see him standing in the doorway um, where my mom and dad slept it. And he was just kind of like pointing, using his pointer finger telling me to come here. And I kind of like blocked it out and ignored it. And then he just stood there and kept asking me to come in the room. So I um I got up and when I went in the room, he kept like a crack in the door and I'm assuming that was to hear whether or not somebody came through the front door. But um, you know, we were standing in the room and it in my mom's room at that time she had a dresser with the mirror attached to it and it was facing the wall. So he was behind me with his back positioned to my parents' bed and I was in front of him and he um that's when he started like sexually arousing me, but the whole while is like, I'm young. And as a kid, I don't fully understand, you know, what is this boy doing to me? And even as an adult, I still didn't process what took place. Um, but yeah, he starts sexually arousing me. And then the whole while he's doing what he do, I'm looking at, I have to look in the mirror to see him wow. take me through this torture. So, um, yeah, he did that for quite, you know, I guess until he got himself off because we stood in there for a while. And then he made sure that when, once he was done, he made sure that he was it was safe and clear for um, me to leave out the room. And then he came behind me. But he kept the room dark. The room was dark. He never cut the light on. And I guess that was to make it as if nobody was in the room. And he kept the crack in the door. You know, he did what he did. And um, it just went from there. And that when I was young and it happened because I was already going through so much within my household, I really didn't know or process what took place. It wasn't into my adult years, and that was maybe 
I want to say 2017, 2018, maybe, and it may be in, it's somewhere in that time frame, um, 16, 17, or 18, whatever year that was, that I was really fully able to tell my mom. Like, I never told her about it. After it happened, I went back in the living room with my cousins. I just acted like nothing happened. I still went on every day. Like, I just wasn't touched. I didn't tell anybody because he verbally told me I better not, because he, so I was standing in, um, in front of him and he had his hand around my neck. And he was doing what he did. Wow. And he told me to um that I better not say nothing. And um I'm just, you know, at that time it's so much to process because I'm just like, why is he telling me not to say nothing? Why did he got the lights on? Why is the door just cracked? Like, what is he doing? Those questions arose, but as a child, it's like, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm scared. I don't really know what to do. And I know that if I tell my dad and he's intoxicated, this gonna go all the way left. And my mom, I know for sure. Um, she would have protected me because she didn't have a good relationship with my dad's side of the family anyway. But because me and my mother didn't have a close knit relationship, I wasn't even, I didn't even feel comfortable bringing that to her. Like it wasn't a foundation there to say, this is my mom and I know she's going to protect me. We have that connection. We have that bond. So yes, I can go and tell my mom. So since I had no one to turn to, I just swept it under the rug. And when I say swept it under the rug, I mean deep as far as it can go under the rug to the back of my head. And I, I never thought about it again. And um, the only reason why I was able to tell my mom is because I was talking to a guy one year and he was um, he was actually trying to give me a hug and he put his hand around my neck just as my bruiser oh did. My and I, yeah, and I flipped out. And in that moment, I forgot that he didn't even knew he didn't even know what happened to me and it shocked him how I reacted and he was like well why are you acting like that and I was like let me tell you something don't ever do that again because that is a that's a that's a trigger for me and he started um yeah he started picking out you know like picking out information from me and he was the first person that I ever told what happened to me um telling somebody what happened to me so he just like i said he started picking out information he started asking questions and he had me in a place where i was safe enough to talk to him about it and um he told me he said well i feel like you should sit down and talk to your mom about it and tell her what happened and i'm like and even then i'm like no i don't feel like i should tell my mama that because what is she gonna do she wasn't even there when it happened she couldn't save me when it happened so i don't see the need of telling her and um, he just kept being patient with me. He just kept talking to me about it. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Let me just talk to my mom about it. And even then, I still wasn't comfortable with telling her because she went and did the exact thing that I figured she would have done. She went and told a family member. And that family member was like, um, don't call me with no craziness. Out of all these years, you ain't about that. Ain't nobody getting in the country. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Like, my body really went through trauma. And you said nobody did nothing to me. So that's why I really never felt like it was a need to tell anybody anything about it. And I just kept it to myself. And so how much older was um how much older was um your abuser than you? What was the, the age difference? Um, so my father passed when I was eight. I, I was still at primary um primary school, so I know I was no more in like kindergarten or first. Oh if that I because I, I was always tall. I've always been a tall child. So it was kindergarten the first, because my like I said, my dad passed when I was eight. And I think he was somewhere, he might have been middle school, high school or something. But he was way wow. older than me. Way wow. older than me. Way older. Very much and older. You know, it's 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 really sad because 
a lot of people that were abused, they were abused by family members. And that's yeah. why, you know, you have to be careful, um, not only with little girls, but little boys too, but like who you have them around, even if it's family. You know, a lot of people, you know, talk about how their parents are very strict, would let them spend a night at family house. And then you always like, well, why are you like this? And why are you mean? But then you think about now all the people that were abused by family members, you see why they were like that. And a lot of times I've I've seen that parents are like that, they were abused. So because they know what happened to them, they're, that's their way of protecting their kids. And it sounds like you suppressed the memory. And then when, like you said, the guy hugged you, it triggered you. And so that mm -hmm. and that's what brought all those memories back. A lot of times we, you know, we suppress things that are painful. And you being that young, you probably didn't know what was going on. Like you didn't know it was wrong. You didn't know what was going on. And that's so nope. sad. Oh my gosh. Nope. Oh my gosh. And even um the crazy part and that's how i know i still have healing to do because even now my body how my body tensed up when he molested me even now i have to speak to myself and say calm down and relax because my body will still tense up like that now and that's been years ago and it still oh tenses up so um when you're being molested it's like a um it's a feeling that you often can't put into words and you try to understand it, but I don't think it's an understanding to it because you have so many mixed emotions. Like why me? What did I do? Yeah. Why nobody else? Like why was I chosen? And even me, like I, it was another female cousin that was in the living room with us. And I'm like, why did he choose me? He was like, why he didn't pick her? <laughs> he picked me. He could have got her. And I was, and you know, that's always been a question, but um, molestation yeah. is just, it's horrible. And I hate, and when I hear people talk about it, I'm like, it's a lot to bear because you just you you try to yeah. you try to mask the pain and it still presents itself and it affects you in all parts of your life. Because even with my daughters, I have to sit down with them a lot as they're getting older and they don't understand why sometimes I'm a helicopter parent and it's not intentionally. And I tell them that it's just that I wish I could have told my mom what happened to me. Um, and I want them to know that if anybody ever do anything to you, don't be afraid to come to me and tell me because I'm here to protect you. That's my job. That's my duty. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be in silence for something that somebody did to you like I did. Like those were a lot of years to carry that hurt, that pain, that burden, that trauma, that torture. Because basically that's what I felt like it was. It was a lot to carry. And then you a child. I just did things like stay out go play with kids i never wanted to be home because i never wanted to be in that situation where somebody else could yeah. be um be in a position to touch me and even after that situation yeah. um and i was young it was like men just started touching on me inappropriately as if i was a doormat so it was like now he um he i guess considered himself getting an orgasm and then the other men they're kind of like touch on my body in places where they know that they shouldn't and it's like now I'm muted because I don't have a voice my voice was gone when I kept telling him no and he didn't listen to me so I just was like okay just go with the flow and let everything be and it'll be over soon and I'm assuming if people are molested that may be their thought because that was mine it's like just let it be what it is going to be let them do what they're going to do and then it'll be over soon you know and that's just the mentality that I picked up from being molested it was all right, it's okay. My no didn't mean anything. He didn't listen to it. So there's no need for me to keep saying no because they're not going to listen to it. Just just let it be and it'll roll over soon. And that's what I went with. Uh, uh, I'm sure it felt good that when you told your mom, she actually believed you. Because a lot of people go through 
they tell an adult and an adult doesn't believe them, especially like as a mom, like that's very hurtful. I would imagine to tell someone, you know, that close to you, hey, this happened to me and then they don't believe you. So that would be a, a whole nother source of trauma in itself. So I know you also mentioned that, you know, your father transitioned when you were eight and your mother had a nervous breakdown, um, which left you raising your younger brother and yourself. So um, talk about that on top of the trauma that you already experienced. Yeah, um, for me, I'm getting a little emotional, so bear with me, but okay. for me, trauma presented itself at an early age for me. Like, I think that the, the first memory that I can really recall is trauma because it hit me so hard at a young age, and that's basically all I knew. So um, my father, he used to do dead-end jobs, very good mechanic, but he suffered with alcoholism because he was a heavy drinker. And um, at some point, he came to the decision that he was going to go and move with his cousins in Rhode Island and um, with his aunts and try to better himself. And I remember him because um, I stayed with him before he left. I was a daddy's girl and I stayed with him before he left. And I remember him telling me that he was going to get a job. He's going to do better for himself and he's going to come back and get us. And that's what I, hold, I held on to. I was really expecting my dad to come back. But in the process of that, um, my mom, we was riding in his crazy how it happened but me and my mom was riding and the same cousin that molested me um ended up seeing my mom's car on july the 10th in 97 um he saw my mom's car he flagged her down he kept trying to flag her down you know she kept going because we were trying to get home and he flagged her down and she pulled over and he asked her to get out of the car and step to his car so you know me i'm curious i turned the radio down to try to hear exactly what he's about to tell my mom and um i heard him when he told her that he had um that he had died but I didn't show any emotions. I just act like I didn't hear what he said. And when we got home, she um she called us under the car porch and she sat us down. And um, it was me, my younger brother, and her oldest child. And she sat us down and she started talking. But she worked in the conversation that my father had died in a um on a job, like doing a live fisherman job in the water. He had um he had passed away. And that was July the 10th, 1997. And as time progressed, I started seeing changes in my mama that I didn't recognize. And I um and I'm young. I'm very I've always been attentive and like independent. And I guess that's because of the trauma and stuff that I had to, that I went through. It kind of put me in a position to be independent. But I um I started seeing changes in my mom. She's always been a she was always a go-getter, always kept a job. She always tried to keep the bills paid. No matter what hour she were like, sometimes she would leave for work and it'd be three, four in the morning. She'd never get back home at six, seven at night. And then I started seeing her um, just being tired all the time, trying to stay in the room. She was just resting. She would, she wasn't doing like what she usually do. Um, she wouldn't go shopping no more. She just, I just saw her declining, and it was just over a period of time. And then one day we was. Um, I think this was a part of the nervous breakdown because she was doing it all her, on her own. And as a child, I didn't I didn't see what she was feeling. And I didn't really understand it either until I got grown and I had my kids. And um, so she was one day the cars was outside in the driveway. Her car was in the driveway and we was walking through the house. And I remember her mother asking where she was at. She said, where Nisi at? And. You know, everybody saying her car outside, her car outside. So we started searching the house outside and everything. And lo and behold, we found my mom balled up in a knot in a closet. Oh and it was just like a roller coaster from there. 
because I knew then something wasn't right. And um, she was an active parent volunteering the school. She had cut back on that. It was just like, I was like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And I'm just trying to process it all, but it really wasn't making sense to me. So at this point, she's in the closet and um, her mom is trying to, I guess, get her help or whatever. And from that day forward, I just started seeing my mom going, check in and out of these mental hospitals. Um, we going, having to visit her. We sit at a table and she's having a, um, she's coloring on color paper like she's a kid again. And I'm like, well, what is going on here? Like you're a child. But you're really seeing all this stuff and you're not understanding what you're trying to process it. So for years, I've seen her be admitted to um, mental hospitals. And it was it's it would be it would be like a year or two where she would be OK and she would be up. She'll be working just 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 surviving because she wasn't thriving at all. Yeah. Um, and then she'll have a setback and she'll be right back into that depressive state. And she's right back in a mental hospital. So it was like a roller coaster for that matter. And um, we went through that. We've been through that for years, for years. And just um, just seeing her lose her mind and having, having all those mental issues, somebody had to step up to the plate to look after me, myself. I had to look after me. And then my younger brother, I had to look after him because technically he didn't have anybody, right? They, um... Yeah. My my father was already gone, and my father's side of the family, they didn't claim my brother at that time. So it was just him and I, and I was like, okay, I have to look after him because he don't have anybody. My oldest brother, I wasn't too concerned about him because my mother's mom, she favored him, and she looked after him. So I was like, I have to look after my baby brother because he don't have anybody. Like, he was a mama's boy, and my mom, he was real close needed to my mom. So with her going through that, I'm like, he's alone, I'm alone. Let me look after my brother. So I would try to um I would try to help him with his homework, um, make sure our clothes was clean, try to make sure we got something to eat, and just try to stay close together because regardless of what my mom went through, she always told us to make sure we stick together. And that was just that was just a motive for me at that time, like. Just just look after your brother, you know, and I was thinking that this would be like a short road, but it was yeah. a long one. It was a long one. Wow. Yeah, it was a long wow. one. Wow. I'm sure I'm sure that's a lot like at a young age and having yeah. to take on that responsibility of an adult. Now, how do you feel that all these things that you've gone through at, up until this point has had affected other relationships like in school? Um, your teachers, friends, like how, how did it cause you to be? How did it cause you to act? Um, dealing with all that and having that much, um, that heavy load to carry. Um, it made me to be, uh, the meanest, most like a black rattlesnake mean. Like, I became mean, I became, I became enclosed. I really didn't want to, um, a part of me wanted to have people that I could call on or rely on. But the other part of me was like, I already don't trust people, so I don't need to be around anybody. And um, even during my high school years, because of my mom's situation, she it was either you get a pair of shoes or you get school clothes. It was never you get school clothes and you get shoes. So I had to pick and choose. And then with that, like the bullying and all of that, yeah. it's just, it's just, you know, it was a lot. And, as I'm sitting back thinking on it, it just I was just I, I want to use the word rebellious, like nobody could tell me anything. Yeah. Cause of course 
I became an adult at eight years old, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody could tell me anything. Once I did develop my voice, I wouldn't allow anybody to shut me up because once I got molested, and then the way my grandmother, which is my mother's mother, used to beat me because I went to bed and all the stuff that she did, I was like, no, I'm not going to be crying anymore. I have a voice, and I'm going to speak. And that made a lot of people tell me that I was mouthy, I was disrespectful, yeah. but they didn't never know the backstory of all that I endured to make me be how I was at that time. Um, I was just, I just was, it was just a... Put your boots on, strap them up, and if you jump off the porch, make sure you can survive. That's just just the mentality that I had developed, and I knew that it was either it was either swim or drown. Like I I had nobody, and then the people that um I used to go to a a, a little program, the Scout Nick Recreation Foundation Center, and I developed people that kind of cling to me. But I was in so much of turmoil, and I was and that trauma was just residing so much within me that. I did. I couldn't even recognize that these people were trying to save me. I even pushed yeah. them away once I got to that point where I um I felt like I hadn't done enough and seen enough. I was like, even even they couldn't even tell me anything, and you know, so I pushed away some good people in the process of being um tormented and and, and experiencing trauma. Um, I really did push away a lot of good people that was trying to help me, but I was just too blind to see it. I I really couldn't see it in that moment because I was so hurt. Yeah. Well, what you had gone through caused you to develop trust issues. And that happens a lot when people that you feel like are supposed to, you know, be there for you, love you, support you, you know, have your back when they, you know, betray you and do things that that you know they're not supposed to do. It causes you to have trust issues, you know, so then that just trickles into your, you know, adult years. Now, how do you think, do you think that you overcome those trust issues? Do you still suffer from that? Um, how did you overcome those trust issues? What What was the breaking point to say, hey, I can trust, you know, I can trust this person. I feel like this person has genuine motives towards me. Um, let's be honest. <laughs> as old as I am now, I see that's, that's one of the number one things on the roster. Trust is at an all-time zero. I don't have any trust with people. I try to um, give people the benefit of the doubt. And then once they prove me wrong, it's like, all right, I gave you a try. You ruined it. There's no making up because if I give you too many tries, then you're going to like the, You know, you're going to just keep on opening the door. It's going to be a revolving door. Um, and even trust with my kids. Like, you know, of course, my daughters are getting older and especially my oldest daughter. She's in that area where being in high school, the court and the dating and things of that magnitude. And she'll... Um, I remember one specific day I was like, let me try not to be so stern and give her a chance, you know, just sit at the park and talk with her friend yeah. guy. And I never forget it. Um, I took him to the park and they sat at the lake, but they end up, they got up and they started walking and mm-hmm. I couldn't see him no more. And I panicked right then, like my anxiety went through the roof and I told my youngest yeah. daughter, I was like, I see him there. I see him there. Go get her and tell her to come on. We got to go. Like, and we hadn't been there no more than 20 minutes, but I was like, no, let's go. So my trust is just, it's not there. And I always pray and I ask God to help me to be better with my trust um, issues. It's kind of like, you know, trust people, give me the spirit of discernment and the discerning spirit. Um, and then whenever I meet somebody new, I always ask God for that because some people don't have good intentions and I don't want to run, I don't want to run across those kind of people anymore. You know, like I've had my share of, being there showing up and then these people not being who they say they truly are um even in relationships 
And I've been single for quite a while now, but I think that's one of the big, big red flags for me is trust. Because it's like, I don't know. I, I, It's still healing. Healing is an all-time thing. And with trust, it's just a big issue for me right now. I haven't gotten to the place where I can say I truly trust because I don't. I haven't. And I'm sure it, it stems from the root cause of that molestation. That's the number one root cause that initially messed with my trust. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, no trust is it's not there, and I would I want to be more trustful of people, and I want to be able to kind of like let's say put that on the back burner because I resolved that and I sat with it, and I do try, but it it just hasn't happened yet. And I know that in God's time and it will, so I'm not gonna rush it. But right now, it's a no. It's a big no. I put a big no in front of that. <laughs> it's a big no. Like somebody can tell me something, just a prime example. Somebody can tell me something and I literally have to see it in order for me to believe it because I'm going to be like, yeah, I agree, but I don't believe it, you know? So yeah. it's just an all-time zero. Wow. And I was, I was yeah. going to go to relationships next as far as you, you spoke about being, you know, cheated on, lied to, and I feel like those things amplified, you know, things, the trust issues that you already yeah. have. Like when you have trust issues and you've gone through something traumatic, when you encounter people that lie and cheat, like it just it just amplifies what you're already dealing with. And I just I feel like it hinders, you know, your healing when you encounter those type of people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I went through that too. But I'm this isn't about me. We're gonna talk about you today. But I, I I can totally understand and know I know where you're coming from because when you go through something traumatic, it really causes you to trust everybody. And when you feel like you can't trust anybody it's really hard, you know, to navigate through life because, you know, we need people, you know, God wants us to, you know, fellowship with other people, you know, help each other. Um, but, you know, that can really be a stumbling block. So, you know, I, I pray that you, that you heal. And I know that I feel like healing is going to be an all, like an all the time thing. I don't think that you ever healed from anything. I feel that you may be better or we may be farther along in the healing process, but I just, I don't think that nobody's ever completely healed. I feel like there may always be triggered. There may, you know, those thoughts may always come back or something that reminds you of, you know, something. So, you know, it's, it's a continual process. Now, I know you were saying um, that you, you know, became an alcoholic, you, you know, then became addicted to sex. Like, what was the pathway to those? Um, activities that what what was your pathway? What led you there, and how did you navigate and get out of that? Yeah, so um, so early on, I met my um my children's father, and he experienced um, and I give much respect to him, and he may he may his soul rest in peace because I wasn't embarrassed of my mom's condition because he accepted it, and he was there to see her um you know, in the mental hospitals. He went with me to the mental hospitals. Um, but when I started talking to him, of course we started our relationship and everything. And then he got murdered in 2013. So when he got murdered in 2013, it opened the wound back for my father's death because I'm like, yeah. everybody that I love, they, they're leaving me. Um, yeah. And the men in my life that I trust and I love, they're leaving me. So when he passed away, um, and basically, you know, as, as I mentioned, 
I felt alone. Like my dad was gone. That was my provider. That was my protector. That's who I love. That's who I trusted. That's who I looked up to. So when I lost that, and then I end up getting into a relationship with Monte, he kind of um he filled those voids. Um, and with my mom, with her condition, she you know the money was was thin, spare, just free to none. So we we kind of we 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 thugged it out together, him and I, and. When I lost him, I, I I just asked God to keep my mind. I didn't care whatever. I didn't care what else I experienced. I wanted to keep my mind, and I say that because, as I stated before, I saw my mom lose hers, and yeah. that was a lot. Like just her losing her mind, I think it was torture. And yeah. um, I remember when he passed away. I was with my friend girl and this particular lady. She told my friend, she said, look after her because she's going to end up losing her mind like her mama. And I was in the recliner chair just rocking and crying because I had literally, it hadn't even been two hours that I had gotten the news that he had been murdered. And I just stopped crying and I cried out to God. And I'm like, God, if you hear me and you're present, keep my mind. That's all I'm asking you to do. Keep my mind. But prayer couldn't, I couldn't, I, I just didn't feel the connection with prayer. I was calling out, crying to God, but I just didn't feel like he was present. I didn't feel the energy. I didn't feel the connection. I didn't feel any of that. And um, the only thing that was sufficient for me in that moment was alcohol. And that's how I was introduced to alcohol. Um, I started partying harder. I knew I had my daughter, but it really didn't matter right then because I'm I'm facing something way different that I didn't want to yeah. face. I didn't want her to experience what I experienced. Um, so to cope with that pain, uh, whatever, like great goosey in it. I didn't care what it was. I finished the bottle and I be just. And once I'm finished, I'm knocked out. I'm cold. I don't I don't feel anything. I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and those you know the problems that just they're subsided in that moment. I don't feel what I'm feeling. Although I know I got to be presented with it once this this alcohol wear off, but in that moment I'm not feeling it. So his death it took me to things that um, I I probably would have never done had I not experienced losing him and alcohol and that sexual addiction was um, it was top two tier for me. And it, and when it comes to the sexual aspect, um, a lot of guys. Hence, another reason why I stay on top of my children, because people pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y on you. And when they see that moment where they can target and get you, and of course, in those moments, I was in the lowest part of my life. Um, For me, sex felt good. I didn't, I mean, whatever, I did whatever it took to make me feel good and not think about me just losing the person that I love, the love of my life. I didn't think about it in those moments. Um, so those that was the, the number one factor that led me to alcohol and uh, being addicted to sex. And then one night, I remember I was going out to a party at a club, and um, that's what led me to it. But this what took me from it. Um, my oldest daughter at that time, she saw me getting dressed for the club, and she waited right as good as I was about to go out the door. And she said, Mommy, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And she said, give me a hug. And I gave her a hug. 
And then she told me, she said, where you going? And I said, I'm going to the club for a little while. I won't be out long. And she said, um, so what happens if they shoot in the club and you and you die? Oh. I won't have no parents. And that, that struck me because I knew then that I wasn't living right. Because I knew that if I leave her, she wouldn't have anybody. So that drew me from the club. And that also made me realize I'm killing myself. Because it was plenty of nights where, and mornings, because I had a newborn baby. Well, my baby was one. But of course, she couldn't do anything for herself. And um, yeah. at that time, my five-year-old, she was warming up hot dogs in the microwave and opening up cans of hyenas to make sure her and her sister was eating. She'll give, them, give her a bath. She'll give her, her baby sister a bath. And she made sure that they was okay. But I also saw the repetitive cycles. I had to do this to my younger yeah. brother. Now my five-year-old yeah. is doing this to my one-year-old. So something got to stop. Yeah. And the whole, the whole, it all happened when she told me, when she asked me that, she said, if they shoot in the club and they shoot you and you die, you won't come back home to me. And I still went, but I could, I never enjoyed the club. I, the music was distasteful. The alcohol, yeah. it didn't even give me a buzz. And I was like, I got to go back home because I, I can't get with the groove of it. And from then until now, it's just been like, you know, the club isn't for me. I, it's nothing there. Yeah. I, have, I have to be here with my girls. And if she wanted to say it, that, I don't know where I would be because yeah. I still would have been buck wild. I still would have been in the streets. I still would have been seeking alcohol, sex. But I'm also thankful that yeah. I didn't run to drugs. I didn't have to sell my body yeah. and I didn't do drugs. Yeah. Those are the two things that I can give glory to God for because I didn't do that. I didn't sell my body and I didn't do drugs. So I'm thankful for that. But it was hard. It was hard breaking the alcohol because that alcohol, it numbed me in that moment. And I also knew that it was time to stop because I remember having a conversation with my um children's father and he was telling me about a friend guy that was drinking to cope with his problems. And he said, I done told him, you might well stop drinking because when you sober up, the problem's going to be right back there. And when I would sober up, I would hear his voice saying it and I was like, I can't keep drinking like this because it's really not taking my problems away. So it was more factors than one that led me to stop drinking as heavily as I were. Now, I may drink socially, but even then, it's hard for me yeah. to swallow it, so, yeah. 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 Wow, girl. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. Try to get it's me over there. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad that you are where you are today. Like, I can, I can, girl, it's a wonder that you have your mind. You know, thank God. You, I know you said you were praying and you didn't feel it, but he kept your mind, girl, because yes. nobody would ever guess mm -hmm. all this stuff. And even when I met you when you was in high school, like, you seemed like, you know, a happy-go-lucky girl. Like, I never would <laughs> you didn't seem, you didn't seem, you know, mean or down or bitter or something. Like, you didn't seem like any of those things. And so I'm just like, oh my gosh, girl! Like you never know anyone's story, and I I learn that every day today. And I'm like in my forties, and I'm just like, you never know what somebody's gone through. Mm -hmm. Girl, you better write that book. You better write your book, girl. You got. I know. Listen. If I can get it out of my girl, head on paper, it is done. Girl, it is done. it's powerful, it is done. and it will <laughs> definitely help somebody. I'm telling you, girl, it's crazy. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Oh, and even um, and even in those moments when I used to sit in the office with you as a receptionist, those was moments of peace for me. 
because Aww. I was battling a lot at home. So whenever I can wow. get around somebody and I can feel like I feel love, I felt peace. Mm. And then I knew that when they rang the bell for me to go home, I was right back in torture land. So I, I soaked up and I cherished those moments. Like sometimes I was cutting class, like I'm going to sit in the office with Kim. It was peace in those <laughs> moments. Um, wow. Even when Miss Williams used to take me, because she, I remember when I was going to the rate and she asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. And at that time I wanted to be a cosmetologist. So she would take me with her to get her hair done at the salon. And, you know, the um, beautician would let me shampoo her hair and stuff. And it made me feel oh, like, right. hey, I'm doing what I wanted to do. So she was one of the women that took time with me. And, of course, as I got older, I kind of distanced myself. Because, again, I went in rebellious stage. And those yeah. was one of the people that I um kind of disregarded. But needless to say, you know, I had... In moments where I felt peace, I clung to those those places and yeah. I soaked those up because I knew I had to go back home and be tortured and in trauma and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's been a lot in my 33 years of living. Um, I don't I don't re I don't want to say I regret anything because it, it actually made me who I am today. Um, yeah. I'm not I would have never thought that I would be still standing after all that I've done, um, after all that I've seen, all the places I've been and my life could have been taken and I didn't even know that yeah. my life could have been taken. Um, yeah. And I always try to I try to be honest with my daughters and I talk to them about my life so that the streets can't tell them nothing that I haven't already told them. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm very open with them anybody in that aspect like the streets may have one story but you're going to come and get the truth from me because i lived it i experienced it and i know what i did and what happened so i'm always open to tell what happened to me or what i've been through um yeah. and even with with me transitioning from my hometown scotland to raleigh where mm -hmm. i decided to leave um that wasn't peaches and cream neither that was a struggle for me because all I knew was once my children father passed, I had no reason to be in my hometown. Yeah. And I just, um, you know, sometimes you have to move in silence. And that's what I did with that transition yeah. because I knew, I knew people, if I told them, they would say, Oh, don't leave. And, it, and they did. And they did. But I had met a, um, <clears throat> I had met a girl at a job that I used to work and, she would just send me all these jobs and I'm like, ain't no way I can stay down here and I ain't getting no job. I ain't got no car. I ain't got nothing. So I, there's no way I can stay here and keep suffering like this. Yeah. So it was in, um, I had told this girl that I know, I said, you're going to come looking for me in the middle of the, in the wee hours of the night and I'm going to be gone. And she took that lightly. She didn't take it serious. And I was talking the whole while I was just putting stuff together, putting stuff together. And I kept making up excuses because, of course, we know when you making a, 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 a change for the better, fear will come and suck you right yeah. on up and it'll talk you out of it. And I kept doing it. I kept making excuses because at that time I had my mom's car, which was raggedy. And I kept using that car as an excuse. Like once they fix the car, I'm going to come on so I can have yeah. transportation. That car didn't never get fixed. So I was like, you know what, girl, just come and pick me up. So she came in. Yeah. Um, I had her tote of clothes. I just threw clothes in the tote. I didn't know what they matched. I didn't care if it was summer, winter. I just threw stuff in the tote. And I had just got my tax return. So I had roughly about $6,000, $7,000. And um, I told her, I said, come on and pick me up. And we packed down in her car like sardines. And we got back to Raleigh. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> we was packed down, honey. Um, but when we got here, she took me to the shelter that she was staying in. 
And I think mm-hmm. that shelter for taking me and my kids in because had they not, we wouldn't have had nowhere to stay. Mm-hmm. So we stayed there for 30 days. They give you 30 days on the non-permanent side. We stayed there for 30 days. On that 30th day at five in the morning, they came to our bunk with me and my kids and they told us that our, uh, our time was up. So we had to find somewhere mm-hmm. to go. So I'm in a frenzy because I'm like, I got two kids. I ain't learned this city. I don't even know the bus route. I ain't got no car. I ain't got no job yet. And the money was only going to take me so far. So I'm in a frenzy trying to figure out what we're going to do. So I end up applying for the permanent side and I end up getting approved. But when I went in there, I was like, this ain't me. This is ratchet in here. Like, I can't stay here. My kids can't be here. So I started going out myself. I got to run a car. I couldn't afford that car, Kim, but God made a way. Every time I, every time the bill would do, I check this, I check that. I have some money enough to cover that car. I was like, God, I see you and I thank you. He's kept me. He's kept me. And I, um, I just started getting out because the girl that bought me here, she ended up showing her side, which was her true colors, which another thing that gets me to say I have trust issues because she tried to little girl me and I'm like, we're not doing it. So that made me go out and start seeing things, you know, getting to know the city for myself. And um, just just like carrying, like, you know, carrying a baby for nine months and then you birthing that baby. That was my journey when I got to Raleigh because um, within nine to 10 months, is when we got our first apartment and everywhere I went three times the rent XYZ credentials. And that last place that I went to, I told the lady and they had denied me too. Cause I had like a lot of traffic, um, things on my record and they didn't know whether it was traffic or criminal. And I kept telling them, I said, I don't have a criminal record. It's traffic. So the last yeah. lady denied me and I said, you know what? I said, we're going to fight about this one. So I told her, I said, listen, I'm going to the courthouse. I'm going to get my record yeah. and I'm bringing it back to you. Because yeah. you're not going to tell me no. I said, me and my children need somewhere to stay. But manifestation is real too because I spoke what I wanted my place mm. to be. And I got that. Three bedrooms, two baths, living room and dining room. And that's exactly what I got. So, um, and I say that to say God is merciful and he's gracious. Because he didn't only give me my heart's desires, he made it where I didn't even, they took off half of my first month rent, and then I didn't even have to pay for the lights. They worked that out for me, too. I didn't have to pay a dime. So I know that even in the midst of me going through, I know God is with me. Because we all know Raleigh is something serious. And um, when we end up leaving the shelter, we left the shelter. And I um I still had to run a car. I wasn't giving that car up because that was like a, a shield for us. <laughs> and um I just want and the people were calling me, Kim. I told every time that man called me, I said, Sir, I'm coming, I'll bring you something, I'll bring you something. Can you work with me? He got tired of me, Kim. But I said, I'm coming. And I sent him a little song. I even had a job where they pay something because they wanted me to work. And um oh, wow. some nights, Kim, I didn't um after the money had ran out and I couldn't afford no hotel, I said, you know what? It's only one or two things. I'm either gonna swim or I'm gonna drown. And I and the crazy part about it, I was determined to leave home because I never gave my key away to my apartment. I still had my key. But and I could have took me and my kids back home, but I knew I wouldn't have thrived as much as I am now if I would have stayed there. Yeah. So um we started sleeping in the car. Um I would get a hotel and this hotel was like a trap hotel. Like honey, it, I, I didn't even I was so messed up in my head and trying to make sure me and my children had somewhere to stay. I didn't even know what we was in the midst of, honey. So I know God had us covered. And then sometimes um 
we would sleep in the car. Sometimes I would sleep on the side of the highway because I'm like, I don't think nobody would come and mess with us on the side of the highway. So I just put a crack in the window just so we can get some air. And I lock the doors. And I would um I would let my kids sleep because I'm like, y'all got school and daycare. Y'all get y'all rest. I'll kind of watch out for us as y'all sleep. So they were resting. I'll just be up one eye open, one eye closed. But, you know, we was in the car. We was in the, um we started at the shelter, slept in the car, slept on the side of the road. We slept in parking lots. Some mornings when it was time to get a bath, baby, we going in the convenience store. Look, we got to take a bath. We locked the door. Everybody go in there. We wash up. We leave out. We go about our day. Um, we endured that. And I'm not ashamed to say that because that's what it took to get me where I'm at. And one day, we was on the public, but I was on the public bus. And it was just a voice that was plain and clear. And I'm thinking I'm crazy because I'm hearing something talk to me. And I'm like, what is this? And that voice said, in order for you to move yeah. forward, you got to let go of what you're holding on to. And it told me to mm. turn my key back in. And honey, I'm like, mm. what you mean? Turn my key back in. I can't turn the key back in because this was something there. If this don't work out, me and my children going back home. Yeah. But honey, yeah. I had to turn the key in. So I called the mm. um I called the leasing manager at my old project and I told her I said mm. thank you know I told her thanks for letting me stay there I enjoyed my time there it really was a stepping stone for me and I told her I said but I have to turn my key back in for you and she told me she was like you've been a good resident I don't want to lose you is there anything that I can do I said ma'am my time has run up I gotta go I'm and she just tried to keep she tried to keep me in there as best as she could but I told her I said X Y Z day and time I'm gonna meet you and I'm gonna bring you the key. And we mm. did it, and she told me, she's like, I hate that I'm losing you, but I, if it's for the better, then I'm okay with it. And I said, yes, it's for the better. So when that voice spoke to me, I went and I took my key back. And it wasn't long after that that me and my children got the key to our new place. Mm -hmm. And mm. everything just started opening up from there. And it just each year, it just gets wow. better and better. Each year, mm. it gets better and better. I'm not where I used to be, although I'm not where I want to be, but I'm right where God wants me to be. So for that, I'm truly thankful. I'm truly thankful. I'm truly thankful. Girl, oh my God. You know, I was as you were talking, I remembered your question. You was like, okay, God, why me? Because guess what? Somebody else might not have told their story. Somebody else might not have that. They wouldn't tell their testimony to help other people that are going through you know what they went through you know the saying is you know god can trust you with trouble you know it's like okay well i don't want you to trust me with that but guess what <laughs> you're putting your testimony out there he knows that you're a vessel that he's gonna speak and tell everybody what he did for you you know how you got through it how he was there like he can't trust everybody with that because like you said everybody's not transparent or some people are ashamed but what we go through you know gets us to where we are and that's like you said that's what made you who you are today and what he has for you you know now and in the future you had to go through that to be prepared for where he's taking you yeah girl yeah, definitely mm. right and it girl, was oh my god <laughs> i won't tell anybody that it wasn't hard it was hard because oh, yeah. like when i first got here it wasn't just me I had two kids yeah. tagging along behind me. Yeah. Some days the money was funny because, of course, I was renting a room, I was renting a car, yeah. so my check was going between those two things. And then when the when the funds was leveled out, I had to choose whether or not I'm gonna get this mac chicken, this mac double, a fry, and they share a drink. Like, what are we gonna do? I had to make hard decisions. 
And I could have reached out and got help, but I closed the world off. I, yeah. I, I latched in with God and I cut the world off because I knew everybody didn't have my best interest at heart. I knew that. Yeah. And some people got a pleasure out of seeing me struggle. They, they got a pleasure out of seeing me in those low places. But mm. when I left, I deactivated social media. I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody didn't even know where I was at. They probably thought I was missing, but nobody knew. Mm. I never got back onto social media until I felt like I was strong enough mentally to decline every open invitation yeah. to come back. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I got back on social media. And I'm thankful for that because had I stayed where I was at, Kim, I don't know where I would be today, but I know I wouldn't be who I am. And mm. I probably, and I tell my kids all the time, y'all are thank y'all should be thankful. You should be grateful that you yeah. get this version of me. You know, my oldest daughter, yeah. I love her to death because, yeah. um, and we was going through some pictures of when we was living in a project. And it's so crazy because she looked at the pictures and she got teary eyed and she said, you know what, mom, Aww. we grew up together. And I said, mm. we did. You shared some of my wow. troubles with me. You seen me do things that you didn't understand, but mm. I did them anyway. You know, like we, she's been through yeah. the hardship. She's now getting to see the glory. My youngest daughter, yeah. she was one. She don't recall all of the yeah. project stuff yeah. that my oldest do. So she's always seen more of the glorified side. She, she, yeah. she's coming in on the on the promise versus being yeah. down in the pit in the valley with sure. like my oldest mm. daughter. So mm. I just tell them, you know, just be thankful for where we are yeah. because it could have always, with all that stuff I endured, I could only imagine me somewhere yeah. strong out on drugs, prostituting, not caring about my children. Like all of those was options. Yeah. But I was determined not to walk in the footsteps of my mama. I, I, if nothing yeah. else was to matter to me, I never wanted to walk in the footsteps of my mom because I know yeah. now that I'm older, I know it was a lot of pain for her to endure. And yeah. I want to mention this too before we end because I know it's a lot of females that can't stand their mama. And me and my mom, we were that. I hated my mama and I've hated my mama all the way up until this year. I hated her. I didn't uh, want to talk to her. If she if I go in her presence, I would get pissed off. Any little thing she say or do, she pissed me off. I did not like her. I did not like my mother. She birthed me, and that's all I gave her praise for. But beyond that, I did not like my mother. But God has a way of doing things where you're going to have to sit down. And he sat me down. Um, he took everything away from me last year, everything. And again, that voice told me, because I had, I just, I stepped away from everything concerning her, and he told me, go back. And I told God, I said, I'm not going back, because there's no way that she's going to keep playing in my face like that. And God said, I'll take everything away from you until you obey me. Ooh. And God Girl. took everything. I was oh swiping one, one debit card to the next debit card on nothing on none of them cards. And he took everything away from me. So I let my pride to the side and I said, you know what? Yeah. If nobody else is going to do it, who's going to do it? So I had to step up to the plate and take on responsibilities for her. And it wasn't then. And mind you, I've been dealing with mama issues since I was eight. I'm about to be 34. And it wasn't until this year where I was like, you know what? I realized, and God let me feel some of her pain. Some of the stuff that she went through that I didn't understand, I felt that to get an understanding of what she felt. And, and the, the key takeaway for me was 
she she did what she did to me and it made me feel how I feel about her, but she didn't know any better. So I'm not gonna hold her accountable for what she didn't know, but I do hold her accountable for what she could change and what she could have done. And um in this whole process, even with her now, I just always ask God, if you just give me peace, I'll do what you ask me to do concerning her. And that's the only thing I could have asked for was peace because sure. without him, I couldn't even stand to be in her presence. And I know God is in the midst of it because we'll just sit on the phone now and nobody won't even say anything for about an hour or 30 minutes, but we just sitting on the phone. And for, to me, that gives me joy because before I wouldn't even answer the phone for her. It could be life threatening. I wouldn't know because I'm not answering it. So, um, you know, just dealing with those mommy issues. And I know they moms, parents, they call, and it's not just mothers too, it's fathers too. Yeah. They call their kids a lot of pain that they really don't realize. But yep. you have to really see it for what it's worth. They was raised in a time that's completely different from how we are raised. And I just came to the point where, you know what, I just got to accept that she did the best she could, you know? Yeah. She really did the best she could with what she had. Her resources are very limited, and I don't look at—I don't look at her from a place of pain and torture anymore. I just try to look at her, saying, "Hey, she need me now, and if anything was to yeah. happen to her, I want my mind and my peace, my heart to be at peace, yeah. knowing that I did what I could for her while I could." So that kind of—that kind of opened the door to forgive her for all that she did and the parts that she played in making me feel how I felt, and you know, the abandonment, the neglect. All of that yeah. stuff, it, play, it plays a big part in who you are as a person. And it hurts. It really do hurt. But, you know, um, just having this opportunity to talk, because I didn't, I knew I was going to cry, but I didn't think I was going to cry like this. But being oh, able girl. to open up and talk about it, I hope that I'm giving somebody else hope to say, hey, it's yeah. not the end of the road. I'm telling you it's not the end of the road, because you should look at me and say, hey, this girl came from Scotland, exactly. work first, welfare, all that she done been through, and that ain't half all I done endured felt yeah. because I done been suicidal and everything else, but I'm still here. I ain't gave up, I ain't throwed in the rope. I may be here, I ain't gonna break. I'm not breaking, I ain't breaking, and there's more to come. So, he's definitely with you, absolutely. Definitely. He's definitely, definitely with the girl. He done kept me, so he got a great work for you, honey. I'm telling you, so. I'm yeah, gonna speak that out. That you're gonna go and write the book, honey. You're gonna go and get that money and help them yeah. people and put that testimony out there. Do you hear me, girl? Yeah. This is powerful. Yeah. I'm so yeah. glad, girl. Enemy, he didn't want you to come up here, girl. He was trying to fight us, but we lost. Mm-hmm. This must be something that got to be out there because that song. <laughs> yes, I was like, okay, it's something to this because I ain't never had to cancel a session because of a storm. I was like, okay, Lord, you know we'll reschedule it. I said, okay, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be something, something. And we don't want you to get out there, but we go, we got out here today. That's him. And the day <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know why when things, I know when things are meant to be because it'll be a distraction and not yeah. even interest. And I'd be like, yes. I'm not really. Even today, yes. believe it or not, I was gonna inbox you and say, not today. But I was like, you know oh, what? Let me go say something. I really was not trying to get on this yes. call today. But that's just the enemy trying to stop yes. what needs to be carried forward. Somebody somewhere going to hear this video from this podcast, and they may get the deliverance that they need. They may get the clarification. Whatever they need, I hope that they can take it from this video because it's, it's not cute, but it's worthy. 
You just got to see it through. Yeah. Trust and believe. Trust and believe. You got to trust yeah. and believe. Absolutely, yeah. honey. Well, thank you so much, like I said again, for coming on with us today. And as always, people, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Kimberly Speaking 8062. And until we speak again, be blessed.